You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. We're starting a new series. It's called That'll Preach. And the whole point of this series is to find movies and things in life where you would say, that actually would preach. There's something in that story, there's something in that message, there's something in that movie that I resonate with that actually is biblical. And, and Hollywood does a lot to steal biblical principles and make it look like it's theirs. So we're, we're just going to do the same. We're going to say, we're going to take your movies and we're going to make them biblical. But the funny thing about that is I'm probably the worst person they could have asked to do this. I have seen no movies. No movies. Like, name your favorite movie, and I have not seen it. Haven't seen Star Wars. Haven't seen Lord of the Rings. I'm just going to offend you from the beginning, so just get used to it. It it happens for two reasons. One is I have a four-year-old daughter. So 100%, well, I'll say 90% of what we watch is princess movies. So she doesn't want to watch Lord of the Rings. She wants to watch Moana or Frozen or uh, Mulan or every Disney princess movie a thousand times over and over and over again. The other 10% is for my two-year-old son who's a dinosaur. So we just watch a lot of dinosaur movies. None of those really have a lot of biblical principles in them. So I'm like, what? what? Oh, second reason is I fall asleep in every movie. Sinopolis was the worst invention for me in the world. You're going to give me a glass of wine and a couch that reclines? I'm done. By, like, before the previews are over, I'm asleep. It's a terrible invention. I don't know why we thought that was good. I'm going to spend $90 to fall asleep. How does that work? I don't get a recap. I don't get the cliff notes. It doesn't even matter how good the movie is. I, I'm asleep. So I'm like, all right, can't, I'm probably not going to be able to preach out of Cinderella, but maybe I could do that because Pastor Jurgen preaches out of Lion King all the time, and maybe cartoons could resonate. I don't know. So I'm like, well, what did I grow up watching? That's a terrible place to start. <laughs> Terminator, Rambo, Die Hard, like pretty much anything that had like a guy jumping out of a helicopter or a bazooka or something to do with jujitsu karate I loved as a kid. Like Jean-Claude Van Damme doing the splits on a chair as a kid was like all that's all I wanted to be when I grew up. I don't even know why. Then there's nothing biblical in doing the splits between two chairs. That doesn't, it's not practical, it's not biblical. I don't even know why you would do that. If I was great at karate and I was taking a break in my hotel room, I don't think I would go, I wonder if I could do the splits on those chairs. So I, but I still, and nevertheless, like Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. So... Where did we end up? Cinderella, Die Hard, Moana, Terminator. We'll just play a clip and I'll tell you. Every week, Tyler gave the rules that he and I decided. Gentlemen, welcome to Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. Second rule of Fight Club is, You do not talk about Fight Club. Third rule of Fight Club, someone yells stop, goes limp, taps out, the fight is over. Fourth rule, only two guys to a fight. Fifth rule, one fight at a time, fellas. Sixth rule, no shirts, no shoes. 
Seventh rule, fights will go on as long as they have to. And the eighth and final rule, if this is your first night at Fight Club, you have to fight. And there we are. I would guess that's not what you thought you were going to see this morning. Don't start a lot of church services with Brad Pitt fighting people. But we're going to go there. You guys ready for it? I'm going to pray because we're going to try to make something holy out of that. And that's probably the only clip in the whole movie I can show you. And for the record, this is not Awakened Church putting our seal of approval on Fight Club as theologically accurate or that you should go home and watch it. Okay, so husbands, you don't get to say, well, pastor said it's a great movie. And everything he believes is from this movie. No, that's not what we said. God, we thank you that you can have fun in church. God, we thank you that uh, everything that is given up to you you would be blessed and you would be a part of. God, I thank you that we don't just come to church to listen to a message. Actually, we want to encounter you. And we want to hear a word from you that would change our lives, that would speak to us, that would, that would echo generationally through our families, through our businesses, through all the things that we touch. We know that it, we're not just meant to meet here on a Sunday, but we're meant to go out into the world and make a difference, God. So let, let today be a day of impartation from you. Let my words be your words. God, let, let your will be done, which we know is heaven on earth. God, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Real quick, I also wanted to honor my mother-in-law is in the house. He came to watch. I love you so much. And a lot of guys will make jokes about your mother-in-law. That's a bad decision. And even though I am allergic to your cats, you have loved me like, like a real mom, and you've believed in me when I was a mess, even when my wife wasn't sure. Um, you can't cry and then talk about Fight Club. This is not working. But I love you, and I just wanted to honor you, and thank you for always believing in me and always supporting us. All right. Are you guys ready? Welcome to Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. We are going to rewrite the rules of Fight Club, but I'm keeping the first one the same. Here's what we've started to do as Christians is we talk a lot. We post a lot. We describe a lot of what the circumstance is like. You can tell me everything about masks not working or why you do or do not believe in a vaccine or how much you do or do not believe in this political party or how much, and you know, we're, we're great at posting. We have some epic Instagram posts and we will get into hour long arguments with people on Instagram. And it's like, arguing is not fighting, just to be clear. We will not have any significant victories on Instagram. We probably won't save anyone to Christ on Instagram. We probably won't change their mind. It's effectively like arguing with a drunk person like, you're just not going to win. There's no rationale in that, and there's not a lot of victory in that. We're not meant to just talk about things. Arguing is not fighting. Describing something or complaining about something is not fighting. We will not get victory through talking. One of my favorite lines from the movie is from Tyler. He says, I don't want to die without any scars. I don't want to die without any scars. What, what that means to me is that scars are proof of a battle. The scars are proof that you fought 
through something or for something. And, and what I want to be able to do when I'm older is have my son come up to me or my grandson come up to me and say, what part did you play in that fight? What, did you and your mom, did you guys, were you part of that? And I could show him the scars of the things that we'd been through. And I could say, actually, yeah, we, we refused to stay seated when we saw education slipping in California. Or we refused to stay quiet when they said church wasn't essential. Or we refused to believe the report that we couldn't have a kid. Or we refused to give up on our marriage even though it looked broken. We had scars for fighting through those things because we decided to not just talk about something, but engage in something. You know, Pastor Matt says, will you fight or will you fold like a deck chair? We're not meant to be deck chairs. Just okay, There's nothing in here that says folding is good. In fact, what it says in Psalms uh, 144.1 is the opposite. It says, blessed is the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war. You have hands trained for war. And my fingers for battle. Not for posting, but for battle. Not for posting, but for battle. You are trained for war. Why would he train you for war if you're not meant to enter a war? They were not meant to just sit back as Christians in this little community club and feel safe in these four walls. We're actually meant to engage in things. Christianity is not passive. It's not quiet. It's not submissive. It's engaged in every area, in entertainment, in politics, in business, in every area of the world, we're meant to not just post or talk or describe, we're meant to fight. In fact, what I would say is that everything good I have in my life came with a fight. Everything good. Nothing was handed to us easy. Nothing was just given over to us. We have a great marriage now, but our marriage, we almost got divorced our first year. It took a huge fight for Rachel and I to have the marriage that we have today. We were told we would never have kids, and we continue to have miscarriage after miscarriage. We had to fight for our miracle children. Even in my own sanity, my own peace, I was so addicted to worldly things that I had to fight for my own healing. Just because I showed up on a Sunday didn't mean that I was instantly healed of all the brokenness and all the bad theology and all the pain and all the heartache. I had to fight for something. Everything good you have in your life will come with a fight. And don't, don't confuse this. What I'm, what I'm not saying is that prayer doesn't work. Prayer absolutely works. But there's a difference between a posture of prayer and a posture of fighting. There are many times I had to be on my knees, surrender to God, crying out to him, saying, only you can change this. And then there was the practical version of where I had to overcome things. I had to engage things. I had to fight things and not just leave them at the altar. And what I would say to that is victory requires more than an amen. It, it will start in the spiritual, but it will end and be one in the physical. You, you, you will find that he will listen when you pray, but you will also find that he moves when you move. He will move when you move. He's not going to start a business without you moving. You can pray, start a business, but it's going to require you to start a business. I, I heard, I heard T.D. Jakes say it's like 
praying to a tree, God, make me a canoe. And he's like, no, I gave you the tree. You make the canoe. It's going to require some work. That's rule number one. You don't just talk about Fight Club. You guys good? We were going to go whether or not you answered yes to that. It's funny things that preachers will ask you questions of when they have a microphone and have no intention of stopping. <laughs> rule number two, rule number two of Fight Club, if today is your first day, you must fight. It's, it's probably my favorite scene in the movie, and if you've seen it, again, I'm, I'm not saying go home and watch it. You will, anyways. The main, the main character, Jack and, and Tyler, are at this bar, and they're deciding that they're going to break out of this thing that they hate, and the best way they can do it is punch each other. Great idea. But <clears throat> Tyler Durden, who's Brad Pitt, and this is the closest I'll ever get to being like him, is imitating this scene, is he's kind of like shaking himself off, and he goes, how much can you know about yourself if you've never been in a fight? How much can you know about yourself if you've never been in a fight? I think we need to ask ourselves that. How strong are you? How committed to that thing are you? How long will you fight for something? How much do you believe that it will come to pass before you stop fighting? Wayne Gretzky says that you will miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Coach would agree with that. I would say you will lose 100% of the fights you don't enter. You will lose every fight that you don't enter. So this is, this is my challenge to us, to myself, to us as a church, is that it's time to take a stand. And I want to show you how this happened. One of the greatest ways that this happened was with David and Goliath, one of the most famous fights in the whole Bible. If you go to 1 Samuel 17, it says, For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. The enemy will always come take a stand in your land. Every morning, Goliath would come out and stand on this property and go, send someone to fight me. And then in the evening, he'd walk over the land. He'd say, I'm going to take a stand. Who will stand against me? Who will you send to fight me? And what I'm wondering as a church is, will we take a stand? What, what, what I love about David, and what kind of infuriates me, honestly, too, is that there were thousands of Israelite warriors for 40 days taking a seat, not taking a stand. For 40 days, they watched this guy taunt them and say, if somebody can beat me, this land is yours. Otherwise, you're our slaves, and this land is ours. What I love about David is on his first day. Rule number two, if it's your first day, you must fight. On the first time, David went down, and he said, wait a second. How long has this guy been doing this? How long has this guy been doing this? He said, he's taking a stand, I'll take a stand. He's taking a stand, I'll take a stand. Here's what we need to do as Christians, is see the opposition as an opportunity. He can either discourage you and distract you and put you in the fear, or you can see him as an opportunity, as a calling, as to say, actually, for such a time as this, I'm meant to take your head off. 
thank you for calling me out. I've been waiting for you. What I love about David is he said, hold on, what do you get for beating this guy? He didn't say, hold on, how big is he? He didn't say, hold on, what, what weapons does he have? He said, what do you get for taking him down? Oh, the land and a bride, and I'll take all that. You're an opportunity. Your giant is an opportunity. Your giant is an opportunity, so will you take a stand? We, we will either stay seated or take a stand. We'll either stay in our seats or take a stand. There's no, you can't be half pregnant, you can't be half in a fight. Yeah, I don't know how you recover from that one. Probably why it wasn't in my notes. You just keep going. Here's, here's what we've been kind of lulled to sleep in thinking is that if you don't engage in it because it's not your fight, that you won't have to have the consequences of the fight. Because a fight will absolutely cost you something. But what I'm here to promise you is that not fighting will cost you more. If David did not fight, all of the Israelites would have been enslaved. It didn't matter if no one else had said, that's not my fight. It wasn't even David's fight. He wasn't even supposed to be there. But he decided to make it his fight. He decided to take a stand. So do we need a list of what to fight for? A few people? I'll, I'll start large. Let's fight for our country. Let's not give up on America. Let's not give up on the United States of America, one nation under God. I'm not going to give up on that. I know our pastors aren't going to give up on that. We're going to fight for our country. We will not sit back passively and let this country go to waste. We'll fight for our state, the golden state. We got this way because we didn't fight. The school system is the way it is because we stayed seated. The political system got this way because we stayed seated. My marriage got that way because I did not fight. You can fight for your city. You can fight for your kids. To make it more personal, you can fight for your peace. You can fight for your freedom. You can fight really for anything, but you will only win if you fight. So rule number two, if today's your first day, you must fight. Come on. Rule number three, this one sounds good until you have to live it. Rule number three of Fight Club is it's not over till it's over. It is not over till it's over. One of the most unique quotes from Fight Club is he says, without pain, without suffering, we have nothing. Yeah, no one amens that point. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's true though. And if we don't talk about walking through things and we just kind of only talk about mountaintop moments as a church, we're not helping people. Because we will have people who are experiencing the greatest moments of their life in this church and then the hardest moments of their life in this church. We had a woman come up in between services at 9-11 and said, I don't, today I was about to throw in the towel on my marriage. And, and they don't know what to do. 
And so we have to be able to equip ourselves as a church to take care of our, our families, our brothers, our sisters, and say, we will walk with you through that hell. And, and it may be painful, and it may feel like suffering, but it is not over. What, what I found in church, if I was just being candid, is it actually hurt more once I got to church. The, the pain was actually more real because it was some of the first times I'd actually been sober. And I mean that both through substance, but also through experiences. I, I was feeling things more than I ever had, so painful things hurt more. I was used to numbing them, either through experiences or people or things. I wasn't used to feeling pain. And our tendency as a culture and as a, as a society is to avoid pain. So if, like, if we've hurt, gotten hurt in a relationship, oh, I won't do that again. You broke my heart. I will never do that again. Or I failed in a business, so now I'll, I'll go back to being an employee. Like that was too painful. I don't want to feel that. Or the church hurt me. I'd given how many years to that, and they treated me like this? We won't do that again. So we become pain avoidance. But if we avoid the pain, we will avoid the healing. And we have to be in a place where you can let painful things happen and heal from them. What, what I know from my own experience is the greatest pain and suffering I had on the other side of that was the greatest victory that I had. And it, and it only happens through church. And it happens at the altar and it also happens in community. You need to get around people who love you to call you out enough to say, that does not look good on you. You are not meant for that. That thing is killing you, not feeding you. You need people in your life that are willing to walk you through those painful things. So my, my call to you is rather than letting the fear or the failure or the losses or the pain null you to sleep, is to get up, not give up. Get up, not give up. In Proverbs 24, it says, the righteous may fall seven times. Somebody say, ouch. Seven times failing is painful. Anyone fail in a business seven times? That is a lot of times, and that is very painful. Fail in a relationship seven times? Have your trust broken by a friend seven times and still have good friendships? But it calls the righteous to do something different. It says, but the righteous get up. My challenge to us is to get up, not give up. In Galatians 6, 9, it says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Get up. Don't give up. You might feel like you're on the mat, but get up. Don't give up. I don't know if, if any of you guys have watched The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan, um, Chicago Bulls. I'm speaking a lot to the men. I've got Fight Club. I've got Gretzky. I've got Jordan. But this is for the women, too. We need strong women. We need women to stand up in their homes, in leadership, in education, in politics, in every area. We need you. My, my house is only strong if we have a strong mom and dad. Not if just the dad is out on a mission by himself and it has no communication or partnership with his wife. So do it together. But, but what Michael Jordan said, and this is amazing, they won their sixth title back to back to back to back to back. And he's holding the trophy and he says, they only win if we quit. They only win if we quit. It's, it's the same in our, in our society. It's the same in your marriage. It's the same with your kids. 
The enemy will only win if you quit. He actually has no authority until you give up. He has no authority because the victory is in Christ. So until we relinquish authority and give it up to him, he has no authority. So he will only win if we quit. The last, the last thing I want to reveal in here, well, let me, let me just say this. Quitting, quitting is hard, but fighting is hard. What you'll have to do is choose your hard. Divorce is hard, but a good marriage is hard. Being overweight is hard. <laughs> Trying to lose weight is hard. I ate a burrito last night. I didn't want to. That was hard. <laughs> being poor is hard, but being financially disciplined is hard. Forgiving is hard, but bitterness is hard. We have to choose our hard. Neither one is going to be easy. So we can't just give up and go, I'll go the easy route. They're actually both hard. So you have to choose your hard. Do you want to choose losing, which is hard, or choose winning, which is hard? My challenge to you is to not give up, but to get up is to say, I don't care if it's hard, it's better than losing. It's better than quitting. It's better than giving up. My marriage is worth it. My kids are worth it. My freedom is worth it. My peace is worth it. My country is worth it. We will choose victory over quitting. Amen. Come on. So, what I think I've found that I want to share with you to encourage you to continue in a hard season, in a painful season, in a season where you feel broken, is the Bible talks about being hard-pressed but not crushed. There is something beautiful that is revealed when you are pressed, when you are in a place that feels extremely uncomfortable. Probably the best version of this, before I go there, let me, let's go to 1 Corinthians 3.16. It said, do you not know which means that we knew, but we forgot. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? The Spirit of God dwells in you. So let me show you how this comes to pass. One of the greatest losses and tragedies in the Bible was Samson, an incredible warrior, an incredible fighter. But what did Samson do? He gave up. He stopped fighting. The, even in the little fights, because what can happen is that battles don't always look like giant battlefields. They can look like little seductive yeses to things that you knew you should have said no to. Little things that taunt you and tease you and say, no, no, no. What Delilah said, how many times are you going to do this to me? And it says that she nagged him so much that eventually he gave in. He gave up on an area that he knew he shouldn't. So then because he gave up his secret, listen to this pain, listen to this torment. This is in Judges 16. It says, then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him towards the grinding grain in the prison. It wasn't enough for them to just defeat him. They had to torture him and humiliate him. So the enemy is not going to play fair with you. But remember the first scripture that the spirit of God dwells inside you. Look at what was pressed in this moment from Samson. If we go to the verse 22, it says, but the hair on his head began to grow back. He had admitted that the source of his strength was his hair. 
So they cut off the hair, but the word for you today is they did not cut off the source. You can lose external things, but they cannot steal what is inside of you, which is the spirit of God, which is your strength. Where does your strength come from? It comes from the Lord. Where is the Lord? Inside of you. What will be pressed in painful things is that the source of your strength is something that cannot be taken. It was always inside of you, and it cannot be stolen. It cannot be stolen. Here's, here's the last scripture I want to end on. And this is a promise, I believe, to us as a church and to our recovery out of something that is very painful, the season we've walked through. This is in 1 Peter 5, and this is the Passion Translation. It says, then, after your brief suffering, and I believe this will be brief. I, I, don't, I don't believe this is going to be forever. I believe we have better days ahead of us. I believe that we will have better days for our kids than what we're walking through. He said, the God of all loving grace, who has called you to share in his eternal glory, will personally, and this is it, powerfully restore you and make you stronger than ever. Stronger than ever is how you're going to walk out of the other side of your most painful things. And I can say that in confidence because I walked through some of the most painful things in my life. I was a mess on legs. I had, I had lost everything until I found this church. And what I can say now, 10 years on the other side of this, is I'm not where I want to be but I'm thankful I'm not where I was. And I'm as strong as I've ever been in my faith and in my purity and in my obedience and in my willingness to do what God's called me to do. So that's point number three. Point number four. And I'm going to actually ask you guys to respond when we get to the end of this point. Point number four is the victory is yours. The victory is yours. It, if I was being honest, I had what the world had convinced me of was conquests, was victories, was worldly accomplishments. And so I had been tempted into this cycle, this unsatiating chasing of women and money and you know, prize and promotion and, and all of these things. And I, I think in my own mind, I convinced myself that like, yeah, you're winning. You're winning, Mike. Winning in the nightclub is winning. Winning in finances and having a lot of things is winning. So then I came to church and realized that was not the case. But what the enemy did a really good job of then was the same bait he used to entice me that was winning, he used to shame me in church. And so I'd be in here and I'd, I'd have, okay, Mike has his salvation but I will not let him have peace. I will not let him have victory in anything. In fact, every time they say, hey, who's believing for something? I'm gonna remind you of the crap that you did. I'm gonna rub your face in everything, every bad decision, every worldly thing, so you think you're not worthy of winning. And see how evil the enemy is. He taunts you into doing something and then he shames you about doing it. And it's such a wicked, wicked thing, but I'm here to tell you that in church, that gets healed. In church, that gets healed. And I'll show you, many of you probably know the story of the prodigal son, and that was effectively me. This son, and prodigal has nothing to do with being a prodigy. 
It actually means, and that's what I had thought. That's how ridiculous I was. I was like, oh yeah, prodigal son, that's me. The guy who's really smart. The guy who's got it all together. Like, celebrate the return of the prodigal. Until I looked up prodigal and it means worthless and wasteless and wasteful. So yeah, it helps to read your Bible. So what I had decided is I didn't want the pig slop. I didn't want the worldly stuff, so I'm going to come back home. But if you see how the prodigal son responds, is he actually says, but don't make me a son again. Just make me a slave. Like, let me be the lowest thing in your house. I don't deserve anything you have here. If you would just let me come here, that'll be good enough. And so that's how I started to experience church. Like, I won't believe for big things. I won't believe for healing. I'll think that I'm not worthy to win. But the response of the Father is so much better than that. It's actually the opposite of the Son. Instead of saying, arms crossed, come give me your best apology. Come repent and tell me how horrible you are. And and maybe, I don't know where it came from, that we feel like the more we whip ourselves in front of Christ, the better he feels about it. But that's not the image that he gives us. He actually gives us the image of a father running out of the house to embrace a son who he's been waiting for to come home. What I love about the father is he says, actually, I refuse to even listen to your apology. We are going to throw a party and I'm going to restore you to where you belong, to the place that was rightfully designed, which is seated next to me as a son, as an inheritance of all the things I have. He puts a robe on him, which speaks of covering. He puts a ring on him, which speaks to authority. He puts shoes on him, which speaks to purpose. And he says, I actually will restore you to a place of victory, restore you to a place of favor, restore you to a place of blessing. You are not a slave in my house. You are a son and I will only give you what I would give the son. Here's one of the things I think I want to smash as we come to close, is that somehow churches aren't allowed to talk about winning. You're not allowed to talk about money. You're not allowed to talk, like, that's that church. It's all about money, all about winning, blab and grab it, blah, blah, blah. But listen, the reason that you have victory in your life is to bring others to victory. The sun got restored. I've gotten restored so then I could help restore other people. The victory is not just for yourself. Victory brings covering. What what I believe, what I know, is that slaves will make more slaves, and sons will make more sons. Daughters will make more daughters. Winners will make more winners. You can't help somebody through something you haven't won already. There's an incredible message from Chris Valentin at Bethel Church, and he says, our personal victories will become our family's coverings. Our personal victories will become our family's coverings. I know the things that I've won in my life, Asher does not have to fight for now. Emmy does not have to fight for now. Listen, this is David speaking to his son. This is in 1 Chronicles 28. He says, David also said, teaching to his son, 
be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord God, my God, is with you and he will not fail you or forsake you. What he's teaching his son is that his victory was also for him to pass on. There's something very important that God shows us here as a metaphor for victory. And then I wanna pray for anyone who's felt like you were about to give up or you were about to quit or that you lost some courage and you wanna get back in the fight. God shows us a promise of certain victory. This is in John 1.5. It says, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has never overcome the light. The darkness has never overcome the light. You know, every morning I wake up, when the sun rises, the darkness doesn't stay. Every time I walk into a room that's dark and I turn on a light, the darkness never stays. Every time my daughter, when she's scared and she takes out her flashlight and looks around, the darkness never overtakes the flashlight. God's showing us something simple that is a biblical truth, is that everywhere the light goes, the light defeats the darkness. Everywhere the light goes, the light defeats the darkness. There has not been a time in history where that didn't happen. What is darkness? The absence of light. So anywhere you go that looks dark, it does not mean it's been defeated. It just simply means you have not brought in light there yet. So that might be in your business, that might be in politi politics, that might be in your marriage, that might be in your mind, that might be some addiction. But if you bring the light there, the light will always overcome the darkness. It will always overcome the darkness. So what are, what are we called to do? What does the Bible say we are? It says we are the light. We are meant to be a light and we are not meant to be hidden. We are meant to bring our light to darkness and everywhere we go, the darkness gets overcome. Everywhere we bring light, the light wins. Everywhere we bring light, the light wins. I'll end on two scriptures. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 57. It said, but thanks to be to God, for he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us the victory. And then Deuteronomy 24 says, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. What was point number four? The victory is yours. Let me read that again. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. The victory is yours. It's not the enemies. The victory is yours. If he's going to say it's finished on the cross, it's not because the decision is questionable. It's because the victory has already been decided. You are fighting from a place of victory, not for victory. So I'm gonna ask you to do something. If, I'm gonna, if you feel like you were about to give up this morning or this week or this month, or if you felt like you've lost some courage, like fear is overcome, and, and honestly, maybe it's hard to sleep, or you don't know if you could take another step, or feel like you could take another hit, 
I want you to stand. And if you won't stand in here, you definitely won't stand outside. And I'm not trying to expose you or embarrass you, but what I want you to do is say, you know what? In front of Christ, at an altar, in a church, in a place of worship, I'm gonna actually say what? I'm gonna take a stand today. Today I take a stand. No more, enemy, you stand across from me, I'm standing across from you, and today I take your head off. This is my land, it's not yours. So come on church, we're gonna pray. If, they, if someone close to you is standing, put your hand on them. God, I thank you that today you are giving your spirit to them. And it is not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. God, I thank you that your word says perfect love casts out all fear. God, so we impart courage and boldness. Your word says, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, but to be bold and fearless. God, I thank you that you are with them, that you are for them everywhere they go. God, that you would never fail them or forsake them. We impart wisdom and courage and strength throughout this, God, that you are the source of their strength. God, I see leaders rising in every area in politics, in entertainment, in education, in government, God. I thank you leaders rising up that says, today is the day we fight. We will not stay seated and we will bring a victory from heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last, last thing I wanna do is just given an opportunity for someone who doesn't know Christ yet to respond. All of this happened because I said, I want Christ in my life. And I had always seen that as kind of a weird thing, but I'm just here to tell you there's nothing weird about it. It's, it's the greatest decision I ever made in my life. And in fact, it's the only victory where, where surrender equaled victory. A lot of other areas I surrendered and equaled a loss, but when I surrendered my life to Christ, when I said, you know what? I'm sick of doing it that way. I wanna come back home. That's when everything changed. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna count to three and then I want you, if you've never given your life to Christ or maybe you, you've spent a while with Christ but then you felt like you walked away, I want you to raise your hand when I, when I say three. But what I wanna remind you of is how much he loves you. And then in fact, the only reason we do church is to bring people back home. And sometimes we'll hear this word, we'll call the people who aren't in church, we'll call them lost. And it can have such a negative connotation, but what I know lost means is you're just not home. And today, if you're here, you're home. And God loves you, and we love you as a church, and what we want you to do is say, you know what? I wanna come back home. I wanna come back to Christ. I'm sick of being away from home. I wanna be under your protection and your blessing and your favor. If that's you, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Come on. I see hands over here. I see hands in the back. I see hands up at the top. Oh, more hands up there. Amazing. Amazing. Anyone else? See hands in the middle and the back. Come on, I'm so proud of you guys. It's the greatest decision you can make. Let's celebrate that. It's, it's amazing. Look, we're, we're a church that is not about having empty seats. 
And we're a church that's about taking what we've received from Christ and making sure other people get it. And salvation is when that happens. And heaven is celebrating because you raised your hand. Heaven is celebrating because sons are returning back home. Daughters are returning back home. So we're going to pray together as a church, but especially you who raised your hand. Our, our team saw you with your hand raised, and what we want to do is get you a Bible and a book called Following Jesus and just make sure that we can pray with you. But if that's you, would you repeat after me? Say, Jesus, I thank you for what you've done for me. I believe in you. I believe in what you did at the cross. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your salvation. I receive your freedom. I receive your peace. I receive your victory. And today, I refuse to go back. I declare that I will bring victory everywhere I go. In Jesus' mighty name. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.